0: Welcome. You're listening to another episode of AML Conversations, where we sit down with some of the brightest minds in the financial industry to explore topical matters around financial crime and compliance. We hope you enjoy this discussion, and please be sure to subscribe for more. Alan, how are you doing today? John, I'm good. How are you? This is fun. <laughs> yes, yes. This is going to be uh, one for the record books here. Um, so uh, let's go back. We've we've chatted offline a bit. <laughs> and, and online, but not recording, uh, We about uh, an aspect of the AML challenges globally that don't get talked about enough from, from my perspective. Uh, and that is the private sector's involvement in um, all the themes that we have to grapple with, whether it's correspondent bank due diligence, private banking, uh, terrorist financing, all the things that obviously FATF uh from their government representatives pass on to the private sector, but you, you are uh, running something that is known as the Wolfsburg Group. Uh, and that brings together experts from, from I believe 13 multinational institutions, and they provide their insight into issues such as those and others, um, and have been for a couple of decades. Tell us a little bit about what got them started and then um, a, a bit about their mission.
1: Sure. Th- thanks for the opportunity. It's uh, it's great to to appear and have have the ability to to share. So Wolfsburg's been around since one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine, but it wasn't known as Wolfsburg back then. Uh, it was a group of banks and and some other organisations that got together in the wake of private banking scandals in North America and in Europe, and there was a realization that it would be kind of useful to have some global voluntary standards for private banking, to avoid, to minimise the risk that people would compete for business with laxer compliance standards. So meetings in 1999 and, and year 2000 resulted in the publication of the private banking principles. And I suppose at the time there was some thought that it, it might be a one and done exercise, but uh, the members thought that there, were, there was value in continuing. So it stayed together as um, and what until last year was the loosest of associations. And last year we, we formed ourselves as a legal entity.
0: Oh, it wasn't until last year that you became a legal entity. I guess I was not aware of that. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean the Wolfsburg geeks would sit around the table and I, I, I'm, I'm among them and and we would sort of laugh about uh, how nobody would open a bank account for us because we didn't legally exist.
0: So, um, Going back to the beginning parts of this, uh, when you first uh, weighed in on private banking, uh, best practices, due diligence, in part, as you say, because of uh, our, my words, uh, the scandals that uh, uh, that were had, had occurred, the penalties uh, at that time, prior to 9-11, obviously, um, I'd say the oversight wasn't as strong with the regulators. Right. It's not a knock on them, but I think, uh, but that was part of the reason why Wolfsburg weighed in, it seems to me. But as they did, uh, to the extent that you have folks that were involved at the time, why did they think what they did was going to resonate beyond the institutions? Because obviously, multinational, big institutions, but there's other fairly large institutions in the states and elsewhere that also have private banking right. uh you know products that they offer. So, what was the take then on? Was it because they were? Um, I don't want to say well-known. I'm not trying to be facetious, but that they felt that if these large institutions weighed in, that that alone would help, or did they do some spade work, if you will, worked with the regulators, worked with law enforcement? What, what do you recall at the time from folks that were there that have passed that on to you?
1: So I, I can only relay what I've been told because I, right, you know, right. I wasn't there for the birth the 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 background that, that that is my understanding is that the original membership was comprised of the the biggest private banks in their respective markets so if you if you move the ma- if the major players move then that makes it a lot easier for everybody else to follow and i think the those private banking principles which have since been revised a couple of times um, have you know, as, as a concept, have stood the test of time, and that helped the organization arrive at a conclusion that hey, it would make probably make sense to be an organization and explore some other topics.
0: I mean, I certainly saw the Wolfsburg principles on private banking, or what they were called at the time, uh, referenced by regulators, referenced in academic pieces, referenced in testimony, uh, on Capitol Hill again, all all prior and some of some pr, uh, post 9-11 but prior to 9-11 that there, there definitely was there was articles in the trade papers about what they did and all of that so that seemed to be as you say uh, if these large institutions are weighing in and saying look we know we got problems and here's some ways in which we can deal with these problems that in and of itself is useful so um as they weighed in on private banking then of course uh we had 9-11 so mm-hmm. What uh, from from your both your experience and also folks that were involved at the time, what was their reaction? Uh, reaction. What was their response to nine eleven in terms of documentation, recommendations, and strategies?
1: I, I think you're right about the you know this whole area not getting a huge amount of uh, attention until nine eleven, and you know what an awful thing to have happen um, in, in order to prompt that. Um, I, my understanding is there was actually a Wolfsburg meeting pretty much underway as 9-11 happened, right? Um, uh, there was, uh, a, a pretty immediate statement that went out from the Wolfsburg group around, uh, terrorist financing. And I, I suspect, I don't know for sure, um, that that led to, uh, one of the first focuses on correspondent banking, you know, the recognition that moving money through banks was not just a business, it was a, a source of, um, Potentially troubling risk and that led Wolfsburg into you know, one of these other topics that just sort of never goes away, you know, best practice around correspondent banking. Uh,
0: So jumping around a little bit. So going to today and some of the things that you guys have weighed in on recently, what's the process for Wolfsburg to take up an issue? Is it something that during a forum discussion, uh, a couple of banks reference? Uh, you know, something that like, you you know, politically exposed persons is is a good example, right? So PEPs uh, wasn't something we talked about in the 90s. We might have understood that people in public office were susceptible potentially to bribes and corruption, but um, obviously the Patriot Act uh, in the US and certainly with FATF weighed in on that. So is it a reaction to uh, global challenges and issues enforcement actions, or is it not that, I don't want to say that's structured, but is it more, you know, there's something out there that they haven't currently or previously commented on. It's another issue. I think cryptocurrency would be an example. Like right. it's not that you're gonna focus on that, but how, how is it? Cause since you're running the day to day, what's the governance process structure sure. for Wolfsburg?
1: I mean, I've been running the day to day since October last year. Um, Before that, I was a a banker and had been for a long, long time. I mean, really, we approach these things from the perspective of uh, shared challenges and shared solutions. So uh, a topic has to be of interest to the majority of the membership before we'll proceed with any kind of work. We we will then put together a working group, um, has to have a majority of the membership involved we will draft something be it an faq document or a standard or or a statement we never publish anything unless all the members approve it and um if you like then then you're off to the races um you alluded this to, to this a little bit in terms of okay you know who looks at the stuff
0: um
1: you know who is the audience um i think we're a credible private sector voice uh, we've all had our problems, or most of us have had our problems. Um, but I think the, the way I look at it is there's not too many other industry groups out there that are a group of practitioners who are speaking to other practitioners. So you know, we're obviously delighted when the regulators pick up on, on some of our work and leverage it. And and we speak to, to regulators at different points of time uh, ourselves. But the other audience is, um, you know, are, are the rest of the banking community. The rest of the, actually, you know, I, I, I date myself when I say banking community. I think that, you right. know, the financial services sector, and also academics. And um, I think that there's different different needs from each of those constituencies. But, I mean, you you, you mentioned perhaps, I, I, uh, we published something recently on negative news screening. If you're a bank sitting in a country somewhere trying to figure out how the heck to do this and your regulator is is telling you that it's required fatterfish is telling you that it is required at a, at a principal level how do you do it so some of our work is sort of really quite tactical mm-hmm. and it's here, how do you go about putting these sorts of programs in place for yourself Whereas other parts of the work are more sort of advocacy related, uh, the, the work we've done on effectiveness over the last few years as to how might we redesign the regime uh, if we had the opportunity to do so.
0: Is it is it challenging um, to come up with a an issue that needs to be addressed and make sure that whatever you produce is global? So obviously, you know, 20, 30 years, 30 years ago, a lot of what's in the AML space was driven by the US or UK. So they were mm-hmm. sort of ahead of other countries or responded sooner, you know, whatever, whatever words you want to attach to it. But obviously FATF has long made clear that when they weigh in on, you know, de-risking or human trafficking or whatever it is, they talk about it as a global challenge right um how how do you navigate how do your members navigate that is similarly i assume that so whatever you draft you want to make sure that it's uh it's seen as global in its response or or in some cases is there a reference you know u.s law does x uk law does y that sort of thing or is it more higher level than that if that makes any sense
1: we, we try and make it higher level. We try and make it country agnostic. Um, but I mean, that doesn't mean to say that we won't uh, pull in as, as references um, legal um, requirements in specific countries. One of the things we put in pretty much all of the documents is that you know your country might have a different approach to doing this, in which case that is the most important thing for you to follow.
0: So yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, uh, looking at your website, you you folks have weighed in on the um, uh, FinCEN's request for comment on how to improve the AML infrastructure. Right. So that's clearly an example of of um, making comments specifically to U.S. based laws and issues to try to improve right. them. So that, and I, I would urge people to to uh, to read that because obviously, not only well crafted, uh, but it does give uh, as you say you, your group of practitioners and i would argue very practical <laughs> response to how to improve the infrastructure so right. that's something that obviously was driven by a few of your members and others felt it was important enough to weigh in so long-winded way of getting to can um is there a lobbying aspect to wolfsburg from outside the organization where people might come to you and say Alan, we'd really like you on your in your next meeting to get this issue on the table to see if the banks want to weigh in.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, um, I mean, we we wrapped up the Wolfsburg Forum in um, Switzerland at the end of May. It's the first time we've got together and uh, since the pandemic began. The Wolfsburg Forum is is. Um, Small conferences, around 100 um, people, it's a mixture of Wolfsburg member banks, um, non-member banks, and uh, regulators, public sector, and standard setters. And so it was my first experience of organizing a Wolfsburg forum. Um, And uh, there was a lot of discussion at the forum about uh, things that the industry would like to see Wolfsburg do. Uh, Part of the challenge around that is just getting the resourcing to do it right? Because, um, you know, the Wolfsburg members, um, all have day jobs right. right? and they're the subject matter experts. Um, I, I had the secretariat, um, my, my predecessor, Tracy Paradise, mm-hmm. um, ran the secretariat as a, um, you know, as something she did in addition to her day job. Uh, this is my day job. And, um, we, we, we try and we get the the membership to volunteer to step up to spend their time working on the papers that we publish. So we're we're always torn between. You know, there's just so much we'd like to do, right, right? But there's only so many hours in the day, and there's only so many corners of the desks to do the work on. The
0: the other thing that we talked about offline was the fact that part of the. Um, uh, the structure of the of the forum and and getting 100 folks, that's actually pretty it's more more than I thought. That's that that's pretty compelling. Uh, But you talked about how um, there's no press. And so it is supposed to be as they like to throw around the old Chatham House rules, but basically an ability to have conversations and hopefully be more candid uh, with those conversations. So I assume that that's that's a big part of it. So you might have debates, as you say, within just the smaller group or within the forum, uh, but nobody's sending information out on Twitter or LinkedIn about right. we're we're potentially considering X, Y, or Z, which is obviously important to make, to make this a robust discussion, right?
1: Well, and it keeps it a safe space for the regulatory community as well, um, at, a, at a large, AML conference you, you you might have the opportunity to ask a regulator and I think we've all joked about the, the right. standard response you know it depends <laughs> um, around the forum it's been my experience both as an organizer now and as a participant um in the past that you can have some pretty frank conversations with with the regulatory community and because there's no press there's no broader media there's no consultants it's It's a bunch of very like-minded people, and uh, some of the discussions that come out of that are, are just fantastic. All
0: right. So um, when your reports are complete, uh, your recommendations are complete. This is a little in the weeds, but I'm very interested in this. what what's your what's your marketing strategy high level? Um, so you're done. So you've already had conversations, maybe at the forum maybe with regulators. So whatever it is that and everybody agrees, all 13 signed off, mm-hmm. it's, re- it's ready to go out. Uh, what's the process of getting that out from this perspective? Uh, we've talked about this again offline. There's many mid sized very large institutions and small institutions in the States and other places that would also benefit from uh, Wolfsburg type recommendations, but right. may or may not be aware of what you've released. In general, you have to give me the the proprietary information. But what what's the general strategy about getting what you've completed out so that people can uh, take a look at it? Hopefully, some will adopt it. You know, whatever. Right.
1: So I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that that's evolving, and mm-hmm. uh, we're we're sort of experimenting with with how to do things. Uh, everything that we publish for public consumption is on our website. Uh, we have a, a LinkedIn um so we publish everything there as well right right we we will send uh completed papers directly to s- some regulators Um the major regulators especially if a regulator has been involved in in giving us some I- input into the the paper and we are hopefully soon going to be finalizing a mailing list type arrangement so uh, people have been able to sign up on our website for for the mailing list. Right. Um, it, functionality hasn't been built on the back end. So we, we are um, hoping that we will have that in place by the end of the year so that we'll then be able to push these materials out to everybody who has expressed an interest in Wolfsburg generally.
0: And I would and selfishly one... say this, this Hopefully this conversation is also helpful in getting getting the information out. So you should, you folks should do more of these things and perhaps do your own, uh, you know, free webinar, podcast, that sort of thing. I think that obviously, as we know, in today's world, LinkedIn's great. I mean, I, I agree that's a great place to for it to go out and then select group of folks, as you mentioned. But I think getting things out in uh, social media in various yeah. forms, that's sort of the world we live in, right?
1: And and that's very much um, on our in our plan to do. Um, we what what I would like to try and do with some of the papers that are going to be coming out later this year, some webinars, some uh, some broader communication sessions. We we have we have an updated correspondent banking due diligence questionnaire that'll be coming out as version right. 1.4. Um, all the guidance material is being revamped because when you change the questions, you have to change the guidance material. Um, we're updating the correspondent banking principles, and we also expect to be able to publish a, a paper on sort of uh, request uh, guidance around requests for information. So that's a nice package of documents, um, updating some materials that, that have um, that have been out for a little while, um, and, and sort of continuing our our continuous improvement process around the CBDDQ. And we, we want to to do something more of a splash with that with when we roll those out.
0: Let me ask you about that because the uh, correspondent banking questionnaire over time has definitely become a, the standard. I don't think there's any question that your folks and your predecessors have been successful in doing that. Um, correspondent banking, as we both know, are considered high risk activities, fairly or unfairly, right? Uh, and the, and the uh, adjacent issue to that has been de-risking. Mm-hmm. Obviously, de-risking has been impactful for correspondent bank relationships, for something that I'm familiar with is charities and humanitarian groups. Without, you know, I know you're working on the questionnaire, but is that also part of the ongoing conversation that as you're doing these questionnaires, the goal is twofold. Uh, my, my words on not yours. Twofold. One is to ensure that there are successful correspondent bank relationship. So if you do your proper due diligence, you should be able to mitigate the risk. And then secondarily, because we've seen in uh, the U.S. is particularly focused on uh, de-risking in the correspondent bank space. In fact, I know uh, from a friend that uh, September there'll be hearings in the House side in the U.S. just on that aspect of Mm -hmm. de-risking. So again, long way of getting to the question of uh, is that also a conversation? Uh, debate, wrong word, conversation, dialogue that your folks have about also trying to improve uh, the environment so that there can be these relationships, provided the banks know what they can do to to mitigate the risks?
1: Right. I mean, to, to some extent, yeah. The, the, the questionnaire itself, our challenge with the questionnaire is to ensure that it stays relevant. Okay. The, the, the old Wolfsburg AML questionnaire um, aged, uh, and, and I would I would say that it became functionally obsolete, which is why there was such a, a growth of bespoke questionnaires uh, across the industry. So the CBDDQ will, will continue to evolve, and its mission is to try and set an initial baseline for, for due diligence. Uh, no no questionnaire is ever going to be able to solve everything. That's always right. going to be a function of risk appetite and specialization and the types of business involved. But it provides a sort of standardized starting point for that discussion. Correspondent banking is one of those topics that is defined differently in, in different regulatory environments. Um, the revised correspondent banking principles are going to focus on where we think the biggest risk is, which is relationships that, permit or facilitate the processing of third-party payment activity. So we, we hope we, we can focus a bit more attention on that particular side of it. De-risking is a real challenge, um, but I think there's a couple of elements of de-risking that are perhaps not as well appreciated as they should be. I mean, first of all, correspondent banking is a business. Correspondents do it because they perceive that they can make money at it. That's the basis of our economic system. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: If you wind the clock back 20 years, rightly or wrongly, but I, I think from the perspective of today, completely wrongly, the amount of due diligence that banks did on their correspondent relationships was a lot less than what it is today. There is a cost of doing that. And an economist would would call that a fixed cost. And whatever it is, it's more today than it was 20 years ago. Payment prices seem to just keep going down. Hmm. So, and I've yet to speak to anybody who can really say, yeah, we we charge our higher risk customers more for payments than we charge our lower risk customers. So you have a classic squeeze going on where... Hmm. The due diligence cost is greater. Your revenue per unit, I used to be a cash management salesperson, so we talked about P times V, price times volume. Okay. Um, if you can't get the payment revenue, then your lower volume customers are going to have to go somewhere else because you can't serve them profitably. And that that is one of the drivers of, of de-risking. It's not the only one, but I think right. it's one that... You won't you won't often find a correspondent banks that says to a respondent, "We're closing your account down because we can't make money out of you." but that that is behind some of it. We can't make money out of you given where we perceive the risk to be, or given where we perceive you, the respondent to be in in terms of how you manage the risk that you open us up to. I realize that's probably a rather unpopular thing to say, because right. I, I know there are some respondents that are working like crazy on it. Hmm. Um, when we rolled out the CBDDQ, there's there's a question in the CBDDQ. Have you chosen to benchmark your uh, AML program against US or UK or EU requirements? And that was a pretty controversial question when we first rolled it out. I think a number of people were quite offended by it. Mm -hmm. But what I said to them was, okay, if if you're a bank in a jurisdiction that's been suffered, that that has suffered from de-risking, and you're one of seven banks in the jurisdiction, and you're the only one that has chosen to benchmark your program against the EU and the US, and you've actually done something about that, that differentiates you in a hugely positive way over everybody else in the market right you know sure we can't ignore these problems but people who are seen to be working on addressing them aggressively and effectively i think will always get a lot more attention than those that appear not to possibly not get it
0: that makes sense uh very very much so um two more things i want to ask you one of your uh most recent papers you referenced is on effectiveness through collaboration. Uh, just posted a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Tell us a little bit about that. Obviously, urging folks to to read the paper when they get a chance. What's what's the theme there uh, about effectiveness? And just just highlights from your perspective.
1: So the, the effectiveness through collaboration is the fourth of, of our effectiveness papers. And, and it, it really sort of tries to get at the heart of... The smart criminals try and avoid concentration risk as much as they can. So the business, the picture that any one bank gets is limited to the activity that flows through its books. If you have an environment where banks are allowed to share information in the US, they can under Section 314. Um, Unfortunately, that is still something of a rarity around the world. If you have a private-public partnership, a a forum where the public sector and the private sector can get together and share information um, as permitted under local law, then you have the framework to start building bigger networks. If you can build bigger networks, then maybe we can do a better job of taking the clever bad guys down. That has to appeal to everybody.
0: Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I'll get you out of here on this, Alan, and really, again, appreciate your uh, patience in letting us do this. The uh, The forum recently met, as you mentioned, in May. And obviously, you have some uh, papers coming out toward the end of the year. Uh, without giving away too much, uh, what do you see as the additional challenges uh, that our community is going to face in the next year, year and a half? Obviously digital assets is something that we we struggle with Uh, we continue to be i think fairly proactive as an industry on anti-human trafficking but you know bribery and corruption is also out there but uh, anything else that you see out there based on conversations with your members and just your own expertise that you think are going to continue to uh challenge us next year year and a half sure
1: I mean, it, it's, it's hard to boil it down to just one or two items. And the danger is that somebody will say, well, he only said these two. Right. Um, so with that caveat, um, the first thing I'm going to say is payment transparency, mm-hmm. it, it is, you know, years ago we talked about banks being, uh, banks and MSBs as the only way to move money uh, around cross border. And generally you had, you had the domestic low value payment systems and you had the cross-border wire transfer systems. Increasingly, we see really innovative use of, of uh, blending different payment channels, different sets of payment rails, to to deliver payments more cheaply and more efficiently. The problem is those payment rails weren't necessarily designed for that type of transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the U.S. is a little bit different, again, because it has IAT as a, as a format for its ACH, but you know that that old that old saying that ACH systems are low value, repetitive, non urgent payments is wrong, wrong, wrong. I think most people probably don't realise that the largest payment you can send via the US ACH system is a penny short of a billion dollars. That's not low value in, right. in my mind. Um, so the the challenge there, you know, different different. Participants, different rules, different requirements. Um, we we we're firm adherents of this principle of same business, same rules, same regulation. I would add same regulator as well, uh, but that's just a personal view. The second thing that i that I would focus on, you 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 got it right, virtual asset service providers. Right. Um, one one of the benefits of the gray hair that that I have. Is that um, there doesn't seem to be anything too terribly much new anymore? Um, virtual asset service providers look an awful lot like MSBs twenty years ago. Right. Um, they do the same sort of thing. They do it in a different way. They are otherly regulated, and in some jurisdictions, they may not be regulated at all. So you know, if if you're asking a bank to say, "Yeah, I'm going to bank this type of entity," then you know, why would the bank do it? <laughs> And then I I hear a lot in uh, a lot of talk uh, in some quarters where where some members of the financial services industry will voluntarily follow regulatory requirements. That's great, but it's no substitute for being required to. If you mess up on something that you voluntarily try and follow, you get embarrassed. If you're a bank and you mess up on something that you're supposed to do, you get fined. You get humiliated. Uh, And and, rightly so, if if it's an egregious violation. Um, So I I think our capacity for innovation is wonderful. It is fantastic. I mean, I can now send money cross border for very little money, but very little money doesn't pay for much of a compliance program.
0: Right. Well, I think that all makes sense. Um, Alan Ketley, the new executive secretary of wolfsburg really appreciate your time i tell folks um for the papers and the information you go to wolfsburg uh actually just go to google wolfsburg group and, and the website will come up and you can uh, uh get on a list uh but obviously uh, reading reading and understanding the, the focus of a number of their papers we've already mentioned a few obviously the correspondent banking there's going Uh, They focus also on trade finance, um, politically exposed persons, the collaboration one that was just issued. So um, these become valuable. Obviously, um, I think it's really good to know and I sort of did know this, but until you said it, was I 100 percent sure that all 13 institutions have to sign off. And I think that alone tells you uh, it's not just a consensus, it's a total agreement. And I think that helps better understand the value of the information that's getting provided. So um, Alan, thanks so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. Good luck. Good luck down the line.
1: John, thank you for the opportunity. It's been great chatting with you. And uh, yeah, Wolfsburg-Principles.com if you want to read anything that we publish.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of AML Conversations brought to you by AML RightSource. To make sure you're staying up to date with what's going on in the industry, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to get the latest episode.